Ready to go? Okay, good afternoon, everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 81. Specifically, we have been studying the subject of anava, of humility. As we've been learning, humility is a prerequisite to a life of Simha. As we've learned as well, that humility is one of those characteristics that's hard to measure unless you pass the tests. There are certain signs that determine for yourself if you're truly humble or not. We've been going over some of those simanim. One of the simanim that the Mesilat Yesharim gives is that a humble person, he says he has Sevilat Ha'elvonot. Translated means he is a person who is able to carry humiliation. Which means that there are moments in life that a person is going to get attacked. Sometimes humiliated, sometimes hurt, sometimes it's called bullying, sometimes they call it abuse. There's all different types of words that are used but basically, it's a person who is being attacked. It could be in business, where you're attacked by your employer. It could be a partner that's very difficult and rough. It is very often a spouse, a husband that's not so easy to deal with. It could be a woman, a wife. Sometimes parents are abusive and difficult and cause a lot of pain to their children. Doesn't necessarily mean they want to. Not every time a person abuses someone else is that their goal, but that's a reality. It could be that a person is abused by their friends they could be embarrassed by other people. I think everybody here is familiar. If you've lived more than a few years on the planet, so you know exactly what this is. Sometimes it's momentary, and sometimes it's longer lasting. 
There's all different types of elbonot. It covers probably every relationship. And there are different dosages of humiliation. Says the Mesilat Yesharim that a humble person is able to carry humiliation. What does it mean to carry? It means that they're not going to drop the ball of life because they got hurt. They're not going to drop a relationship because of a word that was said to them. They will not lose their focus and their peace of mind because of things that people say about them or comments that people make about them. Carrying means they carry themselves and even though they felt the pain and the abuse or the bullying, they just carry it with them. But you won't see a difference in their life, in their reality. If a person gets shaken up when other people are sending arrows their way, doesn't make you a bad person if you get shaken up. But it is a sign that you're lacking humility. Because a humble person will not get shaken up when arrows are thrown their way, even in the most hurtful way, even by the closest people, even when it's so disappointing. I can't believe what he just said. I can't believe what she just did. I can't believe they would say that about me. A humble person doesn't get messed up or shaken up when they're being attacked by the people in their life. Now, we've already described how critical humility is. So we could end the class right here because all you need to know is that the next time you get hurt and it shakes up your life, so you got to go back and work on humility once again. You can claim you're humble, but if these things throw you off, then says the Mesilai Yesharim, you're not there yet. Just like we spoke about anger. We said if you get angry, it's a sign you're not there yet. For any reason. It doesn't mean that if you get abused, you should just lay down on the floor and let people trample you. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you can't handle it, discuss it, talk about it, try to avoid it, figure it out. But you can't lose your composure. You can't lose your peace of mind when you're getting attacked. So if we ended right here, it would be enough. We got a great lesson today. But I took the opportunity today 
to share a little more on this subject. Not because it's not enough to know that humility is connected to this area, but I think it's always good to know the most we can on any subject because it makes us richer and gives us a lot more strength and ability. The more we understand, the more clarity we have, the more strength we have. There is a pasuk in the Torah in Sefer Devarim that talks about the halachot of Yerusha. Yerusha means when someone passes away, they leave inheritance and there's an order of who gets what. For some reason, we're not going to go into it today, when the Torah speaks about this subject, it poses the scene of a man who's married to two women. According to Jewish law, that would be okay. That's no longer allowed. But according to Torah law, that would be okay. So the Torah says if a man is married to two women, and it says, Ha'ahat ahuva. One of them is beloved. <coughs> One of them he doesn't like as much. Don't get excited by the word senua. It doesn't mean hatred. In Torah, when you love someone less than someone else, that's already called sin'a. So he loves one more than he loves the other. That's the scene. And they have sons. They both have a son. Says the Torah, the firstborn will come to the one who is less loved. And then the Torah says, in that scenario, warns the father, be careful. Even though you love that woman more, do not give the first inheritance of the Bechor to her son. Because the other one has the Bechor. Even though you love her less, you must treat the Bechor, the firstborn, as the firstborn. It doesn't matter which wife he came from. That's the message of this parasha. That the Bechor gets double. And the Bechor is your Bechor. It doesn't matter which woman he came from. So even if you'd like to give the Bechor of your beloved wife, you can't do that. That's the message here. It's not really that important for this class. What is important is that when the Torah gives the story, so it says, and the Bechor will come to the woman that is less loved. Now, if you would read it in the parasha, you would realize that there's something missing. The pasuk should have said, and if the Bechor was born to that woman, then this needs to be the law. 
But the Torah doesn't say if. It almost makes it sound like vehaya. That's what will be. But we know you're married to a woman. The bechor can come from either one. Why does it make it sound like vehaya? And it will be that the firstborn will come to the senua, senia, to the one that is less beloved. It makes it sound like that is going to happen as a, like a prophecy. The Abarban El asked this question. The Orachayim Kadosh asked this question. Why doesn't the Torah write im if this happens? Why does it say this is going to happen? How does the Torah know it's going to happen that way? Says the Abarban El and the Orachayim. The Abarban El says it a little more clear. He says, Vegileta lanu hatorah. Here's an example, by the way, of a halacha that's not relevant today. Marrying two women is not relevant today. So one would read this and say, okay, it's not so relevant. But everything in the Torah is relevant if you just figure out how to break it up and realize there's something very, very big happening here. Says the Abar Ban El, Vegileta. The Torah has revealed to us, Bazeh, in this story, Shegam Ken, Ka'asher, that it will be, that if you're married to two women, and one of them feels less than the other one, she feels lower, she's getting abused, she's getting hurt, she may feel humiliated. Shetamid, it will always be that the firstborn will go to her. Why? He says, because ha-hashgaha ha-elohit, which means the way Hashem runs the world, tabit tamid will always be looking el ha it will always be looking towards the one that is lower. And says the Abarbanel, I have a proof explicitly in the Torah, a pasuk that all of us know. Very famous story of Rahel and Leah, two women married to Yaakov Avinu. Both of them are not having children, they're both barren. The Pasuk says, Vayar Adonai, and Hashem saw Ki Senua Le'ah, that Le'ah wasn't as loved as Rahel. She was loved, but not like Rahel. So there was a certain humiliation in that relationship. Hashem saw Ki Senua Le'ah, Vayiftah. Et Rahmah. So he opened her womb. Her womb was supposed to be closed. All the imahot that we had were barren. They all had the wombs locked. And Le'ah, very quickly, more quickly than any other mother or matriarch that we had, the womb was open. Why? What happened to Le'ah? How did she bypass 
the normal system of the imahot. Hashem wanted the imahot to be barren for a certain period of time, which we discussed in other classes. Why not Le'ah? Why did she take the easy pass? What happened? The Pasuk explains, Vayar Adonai, because Hashem saw, Kisenu Ale'ah. He saw that she was in a humiliated situation. Again, not humiliated in a very high level. Yaakov Avinu is a great man, a great husband. But vis-a-vis her other, the other wife, she was lower. When Hashem saw that she was lower, He went ahead and He opened her womb and she conceived and she had a child. Says the Abar Ban El, the Ora Hayim HaKadosh, that this is the way Hashem runs the world. That if you are being abused by anyone in your life, even a small abuse, Le'at wasn't abused, God forbid, but even a small abuse, a little less than Rahel, the love came to her, that's already called abuse, it's already called she's hurting. If you have that in your life, Hashem all of a sudden steps on your team, holds your hand, and you will see tremendous Yeshuot. You will see salvation. Says the Abar Ban El, that's why the Torah wrote that the Bechor will be born to the Seni'ah. Because that's how it's always going to be. In fact, there is a Midrash. A Midrash that we've learned before. But it's a Midrash on a Pasuk. It's one of the Pesukim in Tanakh. That it's my vote. We need to memorize. You should always have this Pasuk in your mind. You should always keep it in your pocket. Because you're going to need it in life. As as we will soon see. You have to memorize this Pasuk. It's in Kohelet. Shlomo HaMelech says, Veha Elohim, which means, and the Creator, Yevakesh, Yevakesh means, He wants something. Which, by the way, is already a big Hidush. To say that the Creator wants something, that would be shocking. What do you mean He wants something? Why would He need to want it? You can have anything he wants. Hashem wants things. He's mevakesh. Not only he wants it, he looks for it. He's searching for it. He loves it. He wants this. What does Hashem want? Et nirdaf. Hashem wants to be close to a nirdaf. A nirdaf is someone who is being chased. There's a word in Hebrew called rodef. The word rodef means the one who's chasing. The nirdaf is the one that's being chased. That could happen in millions of different scenarios. 
of how one could be chasing the other, the neighbor that's chasing his neighbor in the building department. That's called Rodef and Nirdaf. The person talking Lashon Hara about you on the phone, you're not even there. Rodef and you're Nirdaf. The person who just let out of his mouth some very angry words and sent some very difficult words to you. Rodef, Nirdaf. A person who in the office has a power over you. That's usually how Rodef and Nirdaf works. Someone has something on you. They pay your bill. They pay your salary. So they could say whatever they want. They could do whatever they want. You're stuck with them. They know it. So they take advantage. And you're at the receiving end of their difficult words and behavior. Like I mentioned before, this could happen anywhere. How many, how many kids in school today are bullied in one way or another? It's, it's an endless amount. Because every relationship, there's a, that stronger, macho guy, there's the weaker guy, an opportunity to step on him, an opportunity to put him down, to belittle him. Well, it's good to know this pasuk. The pasuk says that Hashem mevakesh. Hashem is looking. He's looking for you. He's looking to be close to you. He's looking to hold your hand. Which, in other words, means what we call in Aramaic, siata dishmaya, which means you are now ripe. If you are getting abused in your life, by somebody, you are now ripe for heavenly assistance. You just wait for the berachot that's coming into your life. You are very lucky if you are getting abused. So lucky that maybe you should ask to be abused. Not so fast. Give me a few moments before you pray for that. But that's what comes out. It comes out that tremendous blessings come to a person who is on the receiving end of humiliation. It's a pasuk in Kohelet. If this pasuk is not enough, comes the Midrash and opens it even bigger, wider. And the Midrash starts to tell us about great personalities in history who had tremendous success. One by one, everybody here that we heard about, there are no new people in this Midrash. They're all going to be personalities. They say, oh, I know that one. And the Midrash is going to explain why they were so successful. Says the Midrash, Noah, now Noah was very successful. An entire world was destroyed. Not one person remained except for Noah and his family. That's called tremendous siyata dishmaya. 
So why was he saved? Says the Pasuk, Noah nirdaf mipene doro. He was chased by the people in his generation. People made fun of him. People belittled him. That's why, says the Midrash, Venoah matzahen be'ene Adonai. That's why he found favor in the eyes of Hashem. So Noah's success is because he was a nirdaf. Continues the Midrash and says, Abraham, you heard of him, the great Abraham. Why was Abraham so matzliah? Why was he so successful in his life? Says the Midrash, because Abraham nirdaf, Mipene Nimrod. He had a guy by the name of Nimrod who abused him. Nimrod was a very powerful man in the time. And he didn't like Abraham or his way. And he abused him. He would spread bad words about him. He would fight him with his mouth, with other things. He threatened his life. He was always chasing Abraham. Says the Midrash, you want to know why Abraham was successful in life? So I thought Abraham was successful because of his kindness, because of many other things that you and I both know about. But the Midrash seems to be saying that all those things were very, very good and very important, but the real success the real spice of success came because he had someone who's chasing him. Yitzhak, says the Midrash. You know what was the reason Yitzhak was successful in life? You know why he got to such a high level that every day we say, Na'amida, Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak. Why? Nirdaf mipene pelishtim. He was chased by the Pelishtim. He was abused by the Pelishtim. They made his life difficult. Oh, Hashem ran. So I want that guy. I want to be close to that guy. When Hashem is close to that guy, he becomes a great guy. Says the Midrash, Yaakov. What about Yaakov Avinu? He's another great man. What was his secret to success? Yaakov nirdaf mipene aisav. He had someone chasing him in his life. It's his brother. For years, he was scared of Esav. He was on him. Abuse from an older brother. Says the Midrash. Now you know why the Pasuk says, Ki Yaakov bahar loya. Hashem chose Yaakov. Again, if you would have asked me, I would have said, no, no. Yaakov, Ishtam, Yoshev Halim. He learned Torah. He raised a great family. He was an honest man. He was a hard-working person. He was ne'eman. But the Midrash says, yes, all those things are true. But the secret of the great success of Yaakov, why Hashem chose him, is because he was a nirdaf, because he was being chased in his life. Yosef, says the Midrash. How about Yosef? Nirdaf. You know the secret? You know, we read the story of Yosef and say, Oh, 
although he was chased by his brothers, he was successful. Says the Midrash, no, no, it's not although. It's because. Because he was chased by his brothers, that's why he got an extra lift of Hashem's help. Like it says, by he Adonai et Yosef. We read the story of Yosef. We always see him successful. Wherever he went, he was successful. No matter how low he got, he was successful. How did that happen? Says the Midrash, because what do you mean? He was a nirdaf. Someone was out to get him. Says the Midrash, Moshe. How did Moshe become so great? The greatest man that ever lived. Says the Midrash, Moshe nirdaf mipene paro. Because Moshe was a fugitive for a long time. Paro was after him to kill him. Remember, Moshe got involved and killed the Egyptian. And Paro chased him. And he had to run away to Midian. He, le he lived his life being chased as a fugitive from a very powerful man. <laughs> Says the Midrash, if you're wondering how Moshe was able to reach such great success and heights in his life, it's because he had someone chasing him. This is an unbelievable Midrash. You could read the whole Torah a hundred times, you would never in your imagination think that this is the cause of the greatness of these people and the great success of these people. And surely the Midrash doesn't mean to take away anything from their greatness in other areas. But the Midrash is saying that this was a very big key. This is what they call in our vocabulary a game changer. You could be a great person, but there's a game changer that just takes you over the top. That game changer is called nirdaf. The Midrash doesn't stop. The Midrash says, how about Yisrael? How about the Jewish people? You know, for 3,300 years, there is no doubt, no question, it's obvious to all that the most accomplished nation in the history of this world is Am Yisrael in so many ways. Whether it's the values that we gave this world, whether it's the charity that we taught, whether it's the education, whether it's the inventions, whether, whatever you want, you look. So, you want, so how, how did it happen? What's so special about Yisrael? Why Somehow, we get over the top. Says the Midrash, an astounding line. If you didn't see it in print, you'd say it can't be. Because we think exactly opposite. Says the Midrash, Yisrael nirdafim mipene umot ha'olam. You will find something else in our history. Great accomplishments is one. But you'll also find that we're always being chased. There's always someone chasing us somewhere. Chasing us out, chasing us spiritually, chasing us physically. From Par'o till today, there hasn't been a generation 
that hasn't been chased by somebody. Amalek, Pelishtim, Romans, Greeks, Assyrians. Go through study history. Chased just right here in this room. If you take our history of the last hundred years, you will see that we've been chased from city to city to country to country. It is the norm of Am Yisrael. Yisrael nirdafim. We're always being chased. Says the Midrash, that's the source of our greatness. Because when you're chased, it would seem, wait, if you're chased, that makes your odds of achieving less. No, but says the Midrash, no, no, no. When you're chased, you actually achieve more. Because when you have Hashem holding your hand, there is nothing you can't achieve. How far does this go? I mean, these are pretty heavy examples. But the Midrash goes so far to say that even in the world of Korbanot, Hashem tells us to bring a sacrifice. A sacrifice is a way of giving up something. An animal costs a lot of money to bring it over, to carry it, to hunt it, to catch it. And then you come and you slaughter it. It's basically giving up of something. We all know how hard it is to give up of something. Sometimes it's money or sometimes it's something we like or we want. So a korban means you give up something. Because that's what you do to get close to people or to get close to Hashem. You give up something. So it's interesting, when it comes to korbanot, the pasuk says, shor, an ox. Hashem says, you want to bring me a korban? You can bring me an ox, kesev, or a sheep. Or ez, or a goat. I like from those. Shor, kesev, or ez. Says the Midrash, wait. What about a lion? Could you imagine bringing a lion as a gift to the creator of the world? You know how hard it is to catch a lion? You gotta travel. You gotta be really safe and aware and figured out, and you gotta be really strong. I'm not saying we should do that, but imagine someone did. Wouldn't that be a great korban? Wouldn't it be nice to walk into the Beta Mikdash with a lion and you slaughter it? Wouldn't that be like an awesome korban? A goat is so easy, a lion is a big sacrifice. What about a leopard? How about that one? Wouldn't that be an awesome korban? Says the Midrash, Hashem says, I don't want the lion on my Mizbeah. I don't want a leopard on my Mizbeah. Why not? Says the Midrash, Shor in Aks, Nirdaf. He is chased by the lion. 
as a goat nirdaf is chased by the leopard. Hashem says, you know who I want as a korban? I want the one that's being chased. I don't want the rodef. I don't want the lion. I don't want the leopard. I am close and I love the nirdaf. So even in the world of korbanot, it is that way. The Gemara says, even by birds, en lecha nirdaf, there isn't a bird that is more chaste, says the Gemara, yoter mitorim ubeneyona, from turtle doves. Hashem says, I want those on the Mizbeach. How about chickens? Chickens are kosher. Do they go on the Mizbeach? No. No chickens on the Mizbeach. Torim ubeneyona. Only those birds. Why? Says the Gemara in Masechet Babakama. Because they are nirdaf. Hashem wants a bird that is chased. That means this applies all over. It doesn't matter. Human, bird, animal. There is a rule in this world. The way Hashem made the world, there are principles of nature. One of the principles of nature is that if you are in the category of a nirdaf, Hashem wants you and wants to be close to you. The Midrash, by the way, says that even if a Rasha is the one that's nirdaf from a tzaddik, let's say a great person, a tzaddik, a great person, and there's a situation where he's rodef, he's running after a Rasha. So who, has, who, who is Hashem going to be close to? You say, well, here's the tzaddik, here's the rasha, the worst guy in the world, the best guy in the world. For sure, Hashem is going to be with the tzaddik. Says the Midrash, no. Even if a tzaddik is rodef, he's chasing, he's abusing a rasha, even though he's a rasha, he's a terrible person. He's a murderer, he's the head of the mafia, he's doing terrible things. Oh, but you're near daf? Uh, if you're near that, Hashem says, that's the rules of nature. Just like when the head of the mafia lights a fire, does it light? Yes, of course, it's nature. Nature doesn't change for tzaddikim and rasha'im. When a rasha'at jumps, does gravity bring him down? Of course, it's nature. Nature doesn't differentiate between a great person or a horrible person. This is a rule in nature. That if you're near daf, you are automatically in a different league. It's the league of beloved by the Creator holding His hand out to help you reach goals that nobody could achieve. It works everywhere, in every situation. There was once a, a man... <clears throat> went 
to a great rabbi, Rav Steinem, and Allah Shalom. And he needed a very big Yeshua salvation. He was very sick. Doctors didn't give him much hope. So he went to the rabbi to see what he can do, to maybe change his gezerah, his decree. So the rabbi asked him some basic questions. He says, tell me, do you learn Torah? He says, I do. He says, do you keep Shabbat? He says, I do. He says, do you accept Shabbat early? I do. What about Yom Tov? 100%. What, Holam Wa'ed? Are you respectful of Holam Yes. Do you speak the truth? You're an honest person? Yes, I try very hard to be honest. He says, are you a person that takes humiliation without answering back? He says, yes. He says, when people say something to me, something hurtful, something that bothers me, I keep quiet. The rabbi told him, if that's the case, if that's the truth, if that's who you are, I don't have to give you anything to do. You're going to be okay. And he gave him a berakhah. Shabbat, he didn't tell him you're going to be okay. Learning Torah, he didn't tell him you're going to be okay. He didn't stop after any of those. You're honest, he didn't say, okay, you're good. Oh, you're a person who keeps quiet when the neighbor is making your life miserable? That's who you are? He said, if that's the truth, you're good. I give you my blessing, you're fine. The power of being a nirdaf. Now I bet there's some people listening to this and say, well, hold on a second. Time out, time out. I'm a nirdaf. My husband's nuts. Nirdaf. I take it. What should I do? My boss drives me crazy. My parents drive me crazy. My friends, the people out there, I have people against me. But I'm not seeing this like tremendous siyata dishmaya, this, this like heavenly assistance that's raising me into great success and great hatzlaha. Seems to be something wrong either with me or with the Midrash or with Shlomo Amelech. What's going on? Why am I not seeing the beracha of a nirdaf when I am a nirdaf? I bet everybody in this room could give examples of where they are a nirdaf in one relationship or another. Where they feel stuck. Sometimes it's very bad, sometimes it's medium. Sometimes it's mild. But I think everybody's got that person or two or more 
that they could say is really abusing me. Again, maybe they don't mean it that way, but that's what's happening. Mitziut, reality. Why am I not seeing the salvation? Why am I not seeing this like extraordinary siyata dishmaya? What am I missing here? So I'd like to give you a few rules to being a nirdaf. If you don't know these rules, then whatever I told you before is a waste of time. Rule number one. The Gemara says, Amar bi'avhu. Listen to these words carefully. Le'olam, le'olam means always. Yehe adam, a person should be, min nirdafim. You should be from those who are being chased. I mean, if you have a choice, which category you want to be in, you be in the chased. You be the guy that the neighbor is bothering you. You be the person who's taking the abuse. Velo min harotfim. And don't be the abuser. Now, why does the Gemara say that? The Gemara should just say, Look to be abused. What does that mean, don't be from the abuser? That's a different subject. That's another problem. By the way, don't be an abuser. It's a terrible thing, which I'll get to in a few minutes. Why is that in the same line? Be abused and don't abuse. Be humiliated and don't humiliate. Be stepped on and you don't step on. Be spoken against, Lashon Hara, and you don't speak Lashon Hara. What does that have to do with the first part? And the answer is, and there's two branches here. Branch number one is, you know, sometimes in life when you're getting abused or humiliated, however you want to term it, sometimes you feel stuck. There's nothing for you to do. You feel alone. There's no one to help. So you take it. I'm a nirdaf. I take it. What am I supposed to do? Somebody comes, yells at me, screams at me. I take it. What am I going to do? I can't do anything. Powerless. But in my mind, I can't wait for the chance to give it back to that guy. Today, listen, today you have the upper hand. Today you have me in the corner. That's just the way the situation is. So today I'm a nirdaf. But in my mind, you just wait. When I have money. Right now I'm an employee. I need you to pay my check. I need the money. So I have to keep quiet. But one day when I'll make money, you're going to see. You're going to see what I'm going to do. Today, I'm at your hands in the building department. But wait till you want to expand your backyard. And maybe illegally. You just wait. You wait when I have the chance. 
to do the same to you. Right now, I'm stuck. What can I do? What Rabbi Avu is telling you is that if in your mind, as you're getting abuse, you're already planning for the future of how you're going to be Rodef, then you lost your status of a Nirdaf. How horrible is that? You're getting the abuse. You have it right there. And what do you do? You destroy it. Because now you're planning to be a Rodef. Well, you can't do it right now because you're just not able to. You know, a thief in jail who can't steal is still a thief. But he's not stealing. That's only because he can't. But he's still a thief. A rodef is a status. So if you say, right now I can't do anything to this person, can't do anything. But one day I will. When I have the chance, I'm going to do it. So you're rodef. Your status is rodef. Even though you haven't done anything, it's only because you can't. So you lost your nirdaf status. You lost your siyata dishmaya. If in your mind it's a matter of time where you'll get back that person. That's one branch of what Rabbi Avu means. That's why he says you should be le'olam. You should be minhan nirdafim velo minarotfim. Be from the nirdaf and not also a rodef. Because if you're also a rodef, then you lost your nirdaf. Another branch of this is sometimes in life we're a nirdaf from one person, but we are a rodef to another person. For example, I go to my office. I'm a nobody in my office. I'm just an employee in my office. As an employee, I get stepped on. They don't talk so nice to me. They give me some really not good jobs. They belittle me. They humiliate me. But what can I do? I need my paycheck. So you know what I do? I keep quiet, just like we learned in this class. And I'm excited because I learned in this class that now I'm in Nirdaf. I'm so excited. But I go home, and in my home, I'm the king in my home. And in my home, I become a rodef to my wife and to my children. Or maybe the CEO abuses me. I abuse my secretary. What's happening here? What's happening here is you lost your nirdaf status. You can't be a nirdaf and a rodef. It doesn't work like that. A nirdaf is a very specific league. If you become a rodef, you're out of the league. So Rabbi Avu is saying, this is a great place to be. To be a nirdaf is a great place to be. But if you become the rodef of the person chasing you, 
Either you plan in the future when you can, or let's say when someone speaks about you, Lashon Hara, your friend calls you and says, you know, did you hear what she's saying about you? What she's saying? What? She said that? Well, let me tell you about her. What happened in that, let me tell you about her? What happened when you say, let me tell you about her, is you had a serving of the biggest beracha in your life, and you chased it away. Because now you are rodef her. You might say, listen, it's my zechut. It's my merit. I'm not sure if it is or it isn't. But that's not the point of today's class. Bottom line, you're rodef. And if you're a rodef, you can't be a nirdaf. There's not, you, can't, you can't be both leagues. So again, one more time. A nirdaf means you don't chase the person back and you don't even plan to chase the person back. And you don't chase others. Because if you chase somebody else, you lost your status. A nirdaf is a status of a person, not of a situation. I mean, you could be a nirdaf in this situation, but as a person, you're a rodef too. So you're out. Being a rodef, by the way, is a terrible place to be. Once we're on the subject, I'm going to give you an example. In the Torah, where we see this in a very extreme way, it says that when Yaakov was wrestling the angel of Esav, So the angel of Esav at some point says, listen, let me go. And Yaakov says to him, Lo I'm not letting you go. Ki until you bless me. Could you imagine going to Esav for a beracha? We've seen people go to great tzaddikim for a beracha. Righteous men, righteous women. Moshe Rabbeinu, Yoshua Binun, the Rambam, the Gaon Mevilna. Go get a bracha from a tzaddik. Did any, you ever heard anyone getting a bracha from Hitler Yemah Shemo? Get a bracha from an evil person? To get a bracha from Isav Arasha? Yaakov Avinu says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Blessing from a rasha has value. So Rashi explaining says, What does it mean, berachtani? Bless me. Rashi says, Hodeli ala brachot. He says, Yaakov wasn't interested in the blessing of Isav. He was asking him, I want you now to admit that the blessings that my father gave me are mine. Because Isav was saying, no, they're really mine. But Yaakov bought it from him. They had a deal. But Isav was talking all over. 
the blessings. He stole my blessings. He took my blessings. So berachtani doesn't mean bless me. Berachtani says, I want you now to admit that the blessings I got, I got them rightfully so. And he won't let him go until the beracha. And I ask you a question. If Yaakov got the beracha, and rightfully so, why does he care what Isaf thinks? What does it matter that Isaf is hurt? And the answer is, because when somebody's hurt from you, and you could do something about it, and you don't, so you're rodef. You're also called the rodef. Yaakov didn't want to be the rodef of Isaac. He did nothing wrong. But bottom line, even though he did nothing wrong, Isaac is hurt from him. How many times have people gotten hurt from you? But you didn't do anything. Now, if you can't fix it, so you can't fix it. It's okay. Then you did nothing wrong. But if you could fix the pain, if you can talk it out, and you don't, even though the person is hurt, and you didn't do it in any way wrong, you didn't hurt the person in a, sometimes in life, you do something and it just hurts people. It, you didn't do it to hurt them. It's just the right thing to do. And you did it. And they got hurt. So what are you supposed to do? Answer is, if you could do something, you need to do it. Here Yaakov saw that he was able to get Isav to admit and relieve him of some of the pain. And therefore, he did that. I'm not letting you go. I don't want to be a Rodef. Torah tells us that we abuse people. The Pasuk says, Kol almana veyatom lo te'anun. Do not hurt or bring pain to people, to a widow, to an orphan. It's just examples to anybody. You're not allowed to cause pain to anybody. Okay, it's a commandment. Makes sense. But unlike probably every other commandment in the Torah, listen to the follow-up of this commandment. After God says, do not cause people pain with your words, with your action, so it should be period, done. Okay. We have many laws in the Torah. Love your neighbor, love your friend. Don't do that. Don't, don't eat this. Don't go here. This one, the follow-up is im ane te ane oto. God says, and by the way, if you in fact hurt another person, ki im elai. If he just screams to me, shamoa eshma tsaakato, I will be there for him. Vehara api, I will be very angry with you. Veharakti etchem beharev. I'm not even going to list some of the terrible things that Hashem promises to do to someone who abuses another person. So being on the side of the rodef 
is not a good place to be at all. Not only is it so bad to be a rodef, but it also takes away the beracha of being a nirdaf. So be very, very careful. You know, I'll tell you a little more. Sometimes, after we hear a class like this, it's okay, I can't wait to be a nirdaf. Okay, I, I need a Yeshua. I just want to be a nirdaf. Go ahead, embarrass me now in public. Go, go, do it. I'm ready. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to open my mouth. It could be that by making such a request, you're called a rodef. Let's think together. Imagine, you say, I wish right now somebody in this room would humiliate me in public. Oh, I wish. I'm ready. I'll keep quiet. And I won't say a word. But wait. That means you're wishing that somebody in this room should be a rodef. A rodef is not a good place to be. So by wanting such a thing, that you should be somebody else's nirdaf, that makes them a rodef, that's also no good. So that's why it's not a good thing to run to be a nirdaf. Because to run to be a nirdaf, you're making somebody a rodef, which means you're rodef them too. It's not just a simple sugya. You can't plan this rodef, nirdaf business. But don't worry, it's going to happen to you anyway. You don't have to pray for it that much. It comes. It's part of life. Just get ready. How come, by the way, Hashem loves the nirdaf so much? What, what is it about the nirdaf that Hashem says, I love him, I, I'm, I'm going to help him? One of the midot of Hashem is the midah of Hashem says, I'll, I'll quote you the pasuk. Bechol tsaratam lo tsar. Which means that Hashem, when He sees someone who is in pain, Hashem feels that pain. Just like we're supposed to do the same for others. Nose be'olam havero to carry the load with somebody else's pain, Hashem identifies with people's pain and becomes close to them in that pain. That's the idea of Hashem loving the nirdaf. I'm going to give you another example of a rodef, just to show you how far this goes, to show you how not so easy this is to be a nirdaf. Not so easy to be a nirdaf. It's not as simple as just keeping quiet when someone says something to you. It's a little more than that. One of the examples the Midrash gives of somebody who was a nirdaf and therefore was so successful, the first example, I skipped it on purpose before, the first example of the Midrash, 
Who was the first person in history who was successful because he was chased? Says the Midrash, Hevel nirdaf mipene kain. Hevel was chased by his brother Cain. And that's why when they brought the korbanot, Cain brought a korban, Hevel brought a korban, Hashem accepted Hevel, not Cain. Why did Hashem accept Hevel, not Cain? Because Hevel was a nirdaf. He was chased by Cain. And our rabbis ask, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't make any sense. All the examples I gave you make sense. I gave you who was being chased, who was chasing, easy. But in this one, it doesn't make any sense. When did Cain chase Hevel? When he killed him. But that happened after the Korban. This is talking about before. Hashem accepted Hevel's Korban and not Cain. You know why? Because Hevel was chased by Cain. When did Cain chase Hevel? Before he killed him. This is the story before that. They were brothers then. Nobody abused each other. At least nothing in the Torah that it says. So why is the Midrash saying that Cain chased Hevel? Where did he chase him? Listen to this unbelievable explanation. We know the first person to think of how they could repay Hashem. Cain and Hevel were two brothers, pure, in a pure world, and they're thinking, what can we repay Hashem? Look what He gave us. Look at this world He gave us. How can we repay Him? What can we do for Him? Of course, you can't do anything for Hashem. He doesn't need anything. But they're bothered. They had hakarat hatov. What can we do for Him? Look what it says. It says, After many days of thinking, Cain brought He took from, the, from his fruits, he brought a minha, he brought a gift to Hashem. He realized the secret and the greatness of a korban. Meaning, it's true Hashem doesn't need his fruits, that's obvious. But it's not Hashem needs the fruits, it's that you're showing your expression by giving up something that's important to you. You work so hard to grow those fruits, and now you take them and you give it to Hashem. That's called a gift. The gift is more what you give up than what they receive. That's a real gift. So this is the first person on the planet that thought, how can I repay my Creator? So Cain, what did he do? He have a great idea. Let me take from all my hard labor and work. And those days it was very hard to grow fruits. After everything he did, he took from the fruits and brought a korban. What does the next pasuk say? Vehevel. Hevel sees his brother. What he did. Gam hevi gam hu. He said, what a great idea. What an awesome idea. Let me bring also a korban. So he took from his sheep and he brought a minha to Hashem. Beautiful. What a, what a great thing, by the way. When you see someone doing something good, 
and you like it, so copy them. Sometimes they don't like to copy. No, because they did it already. If it's a good thing, just do it. You also do it. The Midrash sees in this that Cain was Rodef Hevel. Where? I ask you a question. Here are two brothers looking to do the right thing to pay back the Creator. When Cain thinks of his idea, why doesn't he tell Hevel? Why does Hevel have to see Cain bring the Korban and say, oh wow, what a great idea. You know, Cain only had one brother, Hevel. Why not share with him? Why not talk to him? Ask him, Hevel, what do you think? Let's bring one together. Wouldn't that be beautiful? But what did Cain do? He brought the korban by himself. He didn't want to tell Hevel. You know why he didn't want to tell Hevel? Because he wanted to be the guy. You don't have a great idea. And you want to be the one. He wanted to be the person who brings the first korban. He didn't want to share with his brother. Only his brother, after he saw, he's going to copy him. In the eyes of Hazal, Cain is called a rodef. How is he rodef? Because when you can share something with someone, it doesn't cost you anything. When you can share with someone something and you take that away from him because you want to be one over, you're called also a rodef. You're also called chasing. It's not chasing by running after them. It's chasing by not sharing with them. Look how far that goes. Be careful that when you have something and you could share with others, share it. You have an idea, share it. You're going to do a mitzvah, share it. Do it with others. Don't try to be the guy on top. Don't be the one that gets all of the fanfare. If you can get others with you, share it. If we're not thinking about others, sometimes we could be a rodef. You should know, by the way, not only does God like a rodef, nirdaf, I think it's within human nature. We love the underdog. There's something about the underdog that makes us very excited. There are many, many, many people that love the underdog. Like if you're watching two teams lay off deal, and you don't care for each team, but one is a big underdog, I bet you'll find yourself rooting for the underdog. There's something about the underdog that even a human soul gets close to. You see two kids fighting. One is the underdog. You don't care for either one, but somehow you'll see yourself connecting to the underdog. Two companies are fighting for something. You don't care for each one. But 
The underdog is the one that you find yourself attracted to and rooting for. It's the nature of this world that godliness is connected to the underdog. The Tomer Devoras is a beautiful thing. I cannot let this class go without sharing with you these words of the Tomer Devorah. He says, you know, in life we have Yisurim. We don't like them, but they're part of life. Yisurim means certain types of suffering, all types of suffering. Says the Tomer Devorah, Mahem Hayisurim Hayoter Tovim Sheba'olam. What is the best form of Yisurim? Which means, let's say, in life, you have to get a certain amount of Yisurim. A certain amount of suffering. And imagine you would get to choose what kind. Which one would you choose? Interesting question. Says the Tomer Devorah. He says, there is nothing more haviv, precious, from the Yisurin when somebody humiliates you, puts you down. Why? Why is that the best abuse? Someone comes into the house and throws you a line. So, oh, thank God. Say, thank God, Baruch Hashem. Why? He says, because when someone humiliates you, your body is healthy. You didn't get sick. You still wake up in the morning. You have your strength. You're eating normally. Your life is normal. Other Yisurim are not so friendly. They are Yisurim that put you out of commission. Yisurim are a part of life. Says the Tomer Devorah, when this type of Yisurim come into your life, accept them be'ahava. Don't fight them. Accept them. Because they're going to save you from other Yisurim. Accept these Yisurim be'ahava because they're the, the best form of Yisurim. In fact, the Pasuk in Echa says, Yiten lemakehu lehi yisba' beherpa. The smart person knows that he'd rather be satisfied from humiliation than satisfied from other types of pain. The best pain of life is the pain of humiliation. It does nothing for you that's really damaging if you know how to take it. In fact, it brings you blessing like we're learning today. That's why great people, the Hafez Hayim, it says in his old age, started to have pain in his feet. Somebody asked him, what do you uh, attribute that to? The Hafez Hayim. He says, I'm not Zuchah. I became too respected. I don't have enough people that are humiliating me in life. If I had that, I probably wouldn't have this. Because Yisurin is part of life. Better to get this kind. You should be thankful to get that kind. That's why the Pasuk says, Rabim Mach Ovim Larasha. A Rasha 
has a lot of pain in their life. They suffer. This one said this. This one did that. You believe what that one was talking about the other day. You believe what that... Rabim. If you sit with Rasha, he has a laundry list of people that bother him, of situations that annoy him, people that make him angry. He doesn't like this guy. He doesn't like that guy. He doesn't like what that guy did. There's no end. Rabim machovim la Rasha. There's so much pain that the Rasha could list for you. Rasha doesn't mean an evil man, by the way. Rasha just means a person who doesn't understand right and wrong in life. Could be it's by not his fault. It could be his shogeg, but he's Rasha. Basuk says, Bashem. But the one who has bitahon Hashem and knows Hashem runs the world, Hesed Yesovevenu. He'll be surrounded by kindness. So it sounds like the Rasha gets pain and the Boteyah Bashem only gets kindness. But we see plenty of people who are Boteyah Bashem and they don't have kindness always. But the, exp the explanation to this Pasuk is not that the, the Boteyah Bashem gets something else. Everybody in life gets their share of Machovim, their share of pain. Everybody. There's no life without pain. There's no such thing. It's part of the formula of living. You have to know that. So it says, The Rasha, he doesn't understand how life operates. So he's always feeling like a victim. He's always feeling in pain from what that one did and what that one said. But the Boteyah Bashem, the same situations, Hesed Yesovevenu. The same situation, he sees it as kindness. He hears yesterday, someone was talking Lashorah about you. Oh, Baruch Hashem. My knees are good. I could have lost my knees today. All I had is somebody talking about me. Big deal. Better that. And I became a nirdav. I get the biracha. Someone the other day told me, they called me up in the morning all frantic. Somebody humiliated him in public. Somebody important. In front of 50 people, 60 people. Humiliated. He didn't know what to do himself. What should I do? What should I do? It's all frantic. I told him, I wish I was you. I wish I had that chance. I don't pray for not. I don't pray for challenges, but I wish I was in the position where I had such a challenge. I said, walk out of there, bless the person, don't be a rodef to him, and turn and ask Hashem for Yeshua that you need. Being a nirdaf is a great place to be in life. Especially in a marriage. You know, I say in a marriage, Probably there's no more relevant subject in this area than marriage. Because there's probably no more abuse in life than a marriage. Not major abuse, but like a lot of little abuse. A little line here and there, a little silent treatment here and there, a little annoying look here and there. It's like constant. It's always 24-hour day. Maybe you'll have 24 different types of abuse. It's normal. It's not abnormal. Not talking about very bad marriages or even decent marriages. 
there's a level of abuse. Again, probably they don't mean it, probably they're frustrated, but it's abuse nonetheless. And marriage is a very sensitive relationship. That's why the abuse shows up more. It says by Sarah that Hashem had to lie to Sarah to say, to, sorry, to Abraham, because she said he's an old man. Hashem said, sorry, Abraham called Sarah an old lady. And Hashem, when he repeated it, he said, no, he called himself an old man. He didn't want to say that Abraham called his wife an old lady. Now, by the way, she was an old lady. 90 years old. And they married for 100 years already. And it's Sarah and, and Abraham. Most beautiful home. But yet, you have to be so careful in the marriage. Because the marriage is a very sensitive relationship. So sometimes the smallest things that other people might not bother you if they did it, but someone in your home bothers you. That's just the way it is. And this is, to me, like, it's like fuel to go into my home. And if there's a slight thing here and there, just let it go. Accept it with happiness. Be happy that this is your Yusurin. Don't, don't fight back. Don't. Now again, if there's a way to fix it, if there's a problem that's lingering, fix it, of course. But if there's a situation where there's nothing to do, someone did something, they said something, there's nothing to do, just move on. Be sameah. Be happy this is your Yisurin and be happy that you're going to wait for the Yeshua of Hashem to help you. I'll finish off by telling you this. The Kovet Shiorim, Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, Hashem Yikom Damo. He says that sometimes Hashem will send, He needs to send you a Yeshua. Let's say Hashem wants to send me a great salvation. I need something. I have a problem. I really don't deserve the salvation. But Hashem loves me. But, you know, the world runs on... There's a system in this world. I don't deserve it. What does Hashem do? Says the Kovetz Shioni. Hashem will send you a Rodef just so you could be able to become a Nirdaf so he'll be able to give you the Yeshua that you need. So sometimes it's a chesed Hashem. Hashem sent you the person. He sent you the Lashon Hara. He sent you the problem. He made your husband frustrated and he said a word. Accept it. Accept it, Besimha. This is your ticket to a great salvation. Don't ruin it. The worst thing that can happen in life is that people run after you and there's no one running after you. Let me explain what I just said. The Pasuk says in Vayikra, with this I end, the Pasuk says, when we don't do the right thing, Hashem says, if you don't do the mitzvot, you don't live like a Jew is supposed to live. So there's all kinds of curses mentioned over there. The Pasuk says, You'll stumble one on the other. Like you're running from a sword. And there's nobody chasing you. Which means sometimes you could stumble in life without a rodef. Without someone chasing me. Another pasuk. Pasuk says, 
and you will be running away. And the one, no one running after you. They asked the Gaon Mevilna, if you're running away, who cares if there's someone running after you or someone not running after you? You're running away. If the curse is that you're running away, who cares if someone is chasing you or someone is not chasing you? Why does it say in the Pasuk, and you're going to run away and there's not even going to be someone chasing you? Why does that matter? You're running away. Who cares? Says the Gaon, because if you're running away, and someone is chasing you, that is considered a big beracha. That is called a beautiful blessing. The curse is that you'll be running away and there'll be nobody chasing you. That is no blessing. So it's a blessing, actually, to be chased by someone. As long as we take it in with the right mindset and the right attitude. That is the way, by the way, of the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah, you know, sometimes we feel the Yetzirah is too strong. It's too strong. I can't beat the Yetzirah. Certain things in my life are too difficult. I can't change them. Does Hashem help me with my Yetzirah or He doesn't help me? The answer is it depends. If the Yetzirah is chasing you, if He's running after you, Hashem will help you. But if you allow yourself to go into His hands, for example, you go into the wrong environment, you go into the wrong party, you go into the wrong relationship, you end up in the wrong friendship. If you are looking and putting yourself in the wrong place, then you lose Hashem's help with the Yetzirah. But... If you are protecting yourself and the Ezra still comes after you, now you are a nirdaf. Now you're being chased. And if you're being chased, Hashem will help you. That is a guarantee. So again, summarizing today, bottom line, we learned today that one of the simanim, one of the signs of humility is the sign of someone abusing me, someone talking Lashon Hara about me, someone humiliating me, someone saying words that are very hurtful to me, and I take it besimha. If I can solve it, I do. If I can't, I just accept it. And in fact, I'm happy with it. This is my Yisurin. And it is that person that will deserve that Hashem be close to them and they will see tremendous Yeshuot as long as they don't mess up and become a Rodef themselves. They will see tremendous Yeshuot. So not only is it a sign of humility, it is a cause for many Berachot in our lives. Be'ezrat Hashem, we walk out today with a new mindset and accept all these types of painful situations Be'ahava and we will see Yeshuot like, like Le'ah like all the great people in history who have seen tremendous Yeshuot because they were abused. Final story, a story of a woman that I once shared to you before. A woman in Europe who was the daughter of a very wealthy man. And one day, 
a rumor started to spread about this girl, not such nice rumors, that she was involved in things not befitting a Jewish young lady. And because of the rumors, nobody wanted to go out with her. She could have been the best top. Her father was a wealthy man. They were a beautiful home. She lost all her opportunities. She ended up marrying the assistant to the wagon driver of the town. Not a very high position of hashivut. That's all she, that's all she could get. Nobody wanted to go out with her. Lashon hara, terrible words. Under her chupa, this woman, she prays to Hashem. She says, Hashem, you know that I did nothing wrong. And you know I am the target of all this abuse and all this lashon hara. In the zechut that I have received all of this pain, bless me. I wanted to marry a talmid hacham. I wanted to marry a righteous man. I wanted to marry a whole different type of person. But bless me that my children should all be great people. This woman had four boys. Each one was a gaon olam, writing sfarim. One of her sons, and his name is Yehiel Heller. Yehiel Heller was a great rabbi, one of the great rabbis in our history. And he wrote books. He would answer questions to halakha. Usually rabbis, when they have a halakha question, they answer it and they sign on the bottom their name. Like you'd see Chalavadja's books, you'll sign Ovadia Yosef. So that's a sign. This man would always sign his name at the end of the letter. You could see in his book, every letter, there's hundreds of letters. Every one he signs, Ha'aluv, the humiliated one, Yehiel Heller. The humiliated one, Yehiel Heller. Why did he write the humiliated one? The answer is, it was an honor of his mother. He saw that his siyata dishmaya, he had tremendous siyata dishmaya in his life to become the person he became. And to whose credit was that? His mother. That, he, that humiliation brought so much beracha to her children. I pray that all of us, Be'ezat Hashem, see berachot and yeshuot v'nechamot. Amen. Have a beautiful day. Next class is in two weeks in Brooklyn. Thank you very much. I live by that class. You're right. I know. Nice to see you. Have a great day. How are we doing? Oh, Mabruk. I'm waiting for that. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Very excited. December, is that? January. Okay. I'd love to be there. My pleasure. Mabruk. My pleasure. Thank you. Shabim Matzliach. Thank you. My pleasure. It's good to see you. Thank you. Nice seeing you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Nice seeing you. You too. Pleasure. Pleasure to see you. You still talking to each other, you guys? That's nice. That's a bit. Oh, wow. I have a recording. Yes. I said it.
I sent it to you. I don't have your number. I don't. Do I have your number? I do. Yeah, I sent it to you. I sent it to you. What do you mean victimizes themselves? I mean, there's no real one chasing. They just. That's the biggest curse. That's, that's what he said in the end. I could have elaborated more. That's the one. The biggest curse in life is when you feel like a victim and there's nobody chasing. Because you're feeling the pain and you're not getting the. And you're not getting. You're not. Nobody's chasing. That, that, that is a curse. The blessing is when you get that and somebody's chasing you. But when you're imagining that people are chasing you, that is the worst level. You gotta get out of that. That's hurting you. That's also called chasing. In a relationship where people are supposed to chase each other, not chasing is also a pain. Right? It makes sense? <laughs> Call me. You don't? Oh, you, have to, you have to call me. Call me. Text me. I'll call you. Yeah. 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 I have to. I have to be up to date. Thank you. Thank you I have to stand up for you. God bless you. Amen. 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 Hi. Good seeing you. I know. I know. Maybe tonight. Let me see. You guys are free tonight. Yeah, that's a sketch. You say any night, and then all of a sudden, nobody's around. I know, I know. Maybe we'll do it tonight. Let me see. BH, BH. <laughs> huh? Sunday. To you. Make sure you have good sambusa. <laughs> you want me to? Tap. I'll do it. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Nice seeing you. Thank you. Thank you. How are we doing? All good? Shtagin is learning? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. What better thing could you ask for your children? Amazing. Oh. I'm ready. I'm ready. You tell me. Huh? Tell them to reach out to me. Tell them to reach out to me. Love it. My pleasure. Your gifts and your letters are the finest. I appreciate it. Thank you. Unbelievable. God bless you. Unbelievable. Mrs. Bobo. Mrs. Bobo, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hi.